Welcome to Changing the Sales Game podcast on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Connie Whitman. Thanks for tuning in today. So, you know, I know that as we talk about changing the sales game and changing our mindset, right, and getting behind my movement, Connie Whitman's movement of changing this whole sales concept from pushy and icky and manipulation really to one of love, care, and respect. To help you on that journey, I have a free gift for you. It's my communication style assessment. It's kind of cool. It gives you two reports. One is your just natural communication superpowers and it's spotlight. So you can leverage that and really maximize uh, communication with other humans. The flip side, you also get a, your lowest score, which is your blind spot. And to me, sometimes that shining a light and understanding that helps us communicate and exponentially communicate better with our clients, prospects, uh, family. It doesn't matter, right? It works in all areas of our life. My free gift to you, go to WhitmanAssos.com slash CSA. And that's my gift. Now, my motivational quote today to get us into our zone of the conversation is by Ben Bernanke. I hope I said that right. And Ben says, the ultimate purpose of economics, of course, is to understand and promote the enhancement of well-being. You know, when I was in college a hundred years ago, I double majored in economics and finance. Yes, I'm very boring and you can call me a dork. I'm okay with that. Now, even though I was unsure of what I actually wanted to do when I grew up, I knew that finance and economics were kind of two important topics that I should and obviously did um, understand to support. And I felt in my business career that time I didn't know I was opening a uh, business. Now, fast forward 40 years and understanding these two things has their huge impacts but they've also served me well. Now, I'm excited for my conversation today with my guest expert and new friend, Hunter Hastings. And we're going to just have take that boring conversation about economics, and we're going to kind of dive in and discuss a business brand, the secret evaluation, and economics and business. I know we're turning the topic on its side a little bit today. So my guest again is Hunter Hastings. Now, Hunter has been a CEO, a CMO, and a partner in management consulting and venture capital firms. He's been a co-founder of three consulting startups and is currently an ambassador for the Mrs. 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 I said that right. Institute born in the UK, which you'll see with his accent and educated at Cambridge University. Hunter, thank you for being on the show. So excited to have you. Thank you for inviting me, Connie. Yes. So we're going to this is really interesting to kind of look at economics, I think, from a different perspective. So first question, what's so special about your brand of economics? Well, when people think about economics, they think about what they've been taught at university like you or in business school or even just reading the newspapers. And you think of these big, what the economists call aggregates, GDP, the employment level, the money supply. And these are giant numbers that we're, we're taught that economics is all about. Now, our brand of economics at the Mises Institute is the other way around, that economics is about human beings. It's about individual human beings and how they create value for each other. And if I create value for you, I make your life better. I I improve your situation in some way. I'm also generating value for myself. I get a reward for that from the marketplace. So that's the concept of economic exchange. And you 
you add that all up and you start firms and you start industries. So it's bottom up, it's human, it's individual. And that's the big difference versus what I call government economics, which is how to grow GDP. So my my quote, the ultimate purpose of economics, right, is to understand and promote the enhancement of well-being. So I I chose a good one today, Hunter. He did. He's right. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that comes from Ben Bernanke, who's a known macroeconomist, but he's he's actually right. It, the purpose of the economy and any economic activity is to produce well-being. And the interesting thing about that is one is you can't measure it, right? What is well-being? How much is it? Do I have twice as much? Do I have half as much? You can't measure it. So economics is not about numbers. So what is well-being? Well, it's a it's a feeling. Do you feel like your life has improved versus what it was yesterday? That's economic progress. Um, another way to think about it is an experience. We're constantly learning what to want, learning what to enjoy. And so life gets better and better if economics is working. So this whole idea of it's non-measurable, it's a feeling, it's, it's the way um, people get to happiness, to the highest values, if you like, that's what economics is about. That's why it's such, such fun and so exciting. It's fascinating. And I have never had a conversation with anyone from this perspective. So, and I, I, I think this is the right perspective, the theory of economics. Yes. Applied demand. We need to know that, but this is really the economics of life, right? Of business and and e-commerce and all of those things that we, you know, function in the world to pay bills and, and live. Why should business people really take the time to learn this concept, the way you're, you're discussing it? Well, it changes the way you think about, about business, Connie. You, first, you, you, you start from the customer end, which I know you'd approve of from the way that, that you run your system. Um, so we think about business as production, right? We, we create something, we produce it, we, we push it out, we sell it. It's going in that direction from the business to the customer. And the way to think is actually the other way around. Who creates value? Well, customers create value. Because if value is an experience they're having, they're the ones who create it. In fact, customers are always exploring, how can I make my life better? What should I choose? What if I did this instead of that? They're creating value. So then business's job is to align with that, to understand them. We, we use the term empathy, which is, to use your <laughs> word from the beginning, is a bit dorky, but it's, it's trying to get inside the customer's head and see what they want. What's driving them crazy? What, what are they aspiring to? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? And then you work backwards from that to create your service or create your product or create your, your value proposition, which we'll talk about. So it's this, it's this backward process, working backwards. You know who gets that right such a lot is Amazon. If you, if you read Jeff uh, Bezos's stuff, or you read the books about Amazon, they actually have a concept called working backwards. So you start from the customer experience and you work backwards. How do I improve that? Which are the bits that could, could be better? How can I build a system to, to help that? So this concept of working backwards is the opposite of, of how we normally think about business. And it's the way to grow your business. Which is is funny, right? Because you know, you know, we've been in many conversations and networking uh, things that you've heard me right repeatedly say it's always about the client, right? It's the client's journey. Yet, I think what happened after industrial revolution, right, the corporate paradigm or the corporate structure was 
the shareholders first, right? Then mm-hmm. I, I think then it was the um, employee and then it was the customer. And and now we know we got to flip that upside its head because if the customer isn't happy, your employees aren't happy. So their production goes down and then who's suffering? Uh, your shareholders. <laughs> so we really do have to kind of flip that pyramid upside down, which is kind of what you're saying too. Start with the customer. What's the customer's perspective, needs, wants, desire, all of those things. And then do I have a zone of genius that I can help them move the needle on whatever that want desire is? Um, Why hasn't it always been like that? So in my world, you know, 40 years in sales, it's never been about the sale or the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a good living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could pay my bills, right? All those things. But it was always about the customer. So to me, when I, you know, especially when I got into the corporate um, world for the first 20 years of my career, like sometimes I would sit there and shake my head and they said, but this is counterintuitive. Like customers aren't going to buy this or customers aren't going to respond to that. Why, why are we doing that? And then of course, what would happen? It would die on the vine and oh, what's the next best thing? Well, go ask your customers. They'll tell you, right? What their desires are, and what their needs are. So it's just, yeah, I love this flipping the script. It, do you think, you know, I don't know if you can answer this, but do you think that the corporate thinking are you seeing with your clients and such that the corporate thinking is changing so that they're they're flipping that that you know old pyramid uh, of thinking upside down well it's an interesting question about why don't corporations act this way why isn't the the customer always first and the the problem is that as business has financialized as we've got to please wall street and we've got to please our investors and please our shareholders and so on like that. We create whole parts of business that are not about serving the customer. They're, they're bureaucracies, either for government compliance or for HR, for those kinds of things. They're not customer facing. And a lot of business becomes defensive. So when, when big businesses talk about their share of market and those kinds of things, that's a defensive concept. So when you're dealing with customers, customers are whimsical, unpredictable. They're always changing. And people like you and me embrace that. We That's why we want to be close to the customer. Watch them change. See if I can keep up with them. So this, this constant change, corporations hate that. They, they want everything to be the same, right? They, they run a system of, of prediction. My sales this year will be $10 million. I'm predicting that. So I've told everybody. And then control. They run these plans to to control their way to the, the $10 million that they've, they've predicted. Whereas the customer first organization doesn't predict because the customer is always changing and the world is always changing and it doesn't control. It's listening, it's feeling, it's, it's reacting and so on. So the corporations just go in the wrong direction. And uh, one of my ways of thinking is that now that anybody can provide value for anybody from anywhere, that's the digital age, these big corporations are, are going to go away. We worry about big tech right now, but they're, they're dinosaurs. We're going to replace them. It's funny. I was thinking as you were saying that, I remember oh, early in my career. So I was probably, I'm going to say early 30s. So fairly early in the career, right? about 30 years ago. And I remember I was in an executive meeting and I was a regional sales manager for, I think I had like a hundred, it was a bank and I had a hundred branches under me. And so, you know, you're talking a lot of employees. And so I remember being in a meeting and the, uh, the president of the division of our division 
kept talking about the numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers. And so again, I'm, I'm pretty forward. I'm not, I'm not shy about things. I'm respectful, but I'm not shy. You know, I raised my hand and I said, I have a question. I understand the numbers. I understand we have to measure. I understand we, we want X percent of growth over the next year, but you're not talking about the human side of it, which is how are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, behaviors, if we can, and I said, my job, this is my job, right? Is to go back to my team and coach the managers to coach their employees. But I, at the core, I have to change their behavior of how they're communicating with the client, how they're, how they're interpreting what we're saying the goals are, the corporate structure, or the corporate objective is, right? We have to translate that teach them what to do. Those behaviors are what's going to drive the numbers. You keep mentioning numbers and saying, you know, deposit growth or whatever the growth is, but how, how are you, how are you planning to do that? Now in my world, in my region, there was five of us, right? We, we were a big bank. And, and so my, I'm thinking, I know what I'm doing with my people. Cause, Oh, by the way, I'm going to be number one, right? I'm super competitive, but I knew it started with behavior. And he looked at me and he, he literally was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen to me. You just bring those numbers in. And I'm like, like, it was like, all right, dude, <laughs> I'll do it. Right. And, but then my, I could see my other, the other regional sales managers were looking at me like, yeah, how are we going to do this? And I'm like, figure it out. Cause I'm not helping you now. Of course I didn't say that Hunter. I said, you know, and, and later on, you know, you meet with your peers and I said, listen, I, I know how I'm going to approach it. We could be strategic about this, but I'm telling you, if we don't go and teach and help them change their behaviors on how they're approaching sales conversations with the client, it, we ain't ever hitting those numbers. I could tell you that, but isn't that funny? 30 years ago, this guy thought I was out of my mind, Hunter. I swear mm-hmm. to God. The great uh, textbook in our economics, Connie, is called Human Action. And it's exactly what you said, is that the the basis for creating value for economic behavior is human action, what humans do, and especially what they do collaboratively with each other. And so you're 100% right. And the, the way economists are thinking now is the numbers that you're talking about are, the fancy word is emergent properties. Do the behavior first please your customer, make the, make the exchange, make the sale. The numbers are emergent. They follow. That's, that's an afterthought. It's, and one of our mottos so to help people in marketing and sales is be more human, which means understand people better, really understand how they're feeling, really figure out how they're going to make choices. And being more human is the secret to business success. And it's funny because I have a workshop eliminating the five layers of buyer's resistance. And right at the beginning, I talk about that we have two conversations going on all the time, right? We have the very conscious, you and I were speaking English, right? We can make eye contact. We could see each other. Um, We're taking turns talking. I'm not talking over you. You're not talking over me. Conscious conversation. But really, like 80% of our conversations with our clients, prospects, peers, uh, people we report to, what, whatever, vendors, doesn't matter who we're talking to, um, 80% of that conversation is really at the subconscious level, right? So it's the under part of an iceberg, if you will, visually. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't even know that that subconscious conversation is going on half the time as humans. So th- this is, what, what did you call it? Emergent, say it again, emergent economics? Yeah, it's emergent properties. The numbers are emergent from the behavior. Yeah, love that because the behaviors drive the numbers. It's it's to me, it's logic, 
but um, yeah, so I, I, I love that whole concept. What's the secret? And I want to want to shift a little bit and kind of build on what are the secrets of value creation? Well, first thing, understanding what value is, and mm-hmm. we've talked about that. It's a, it's a feeling, it's an experience in the, the customer's mind. And they're living in this, this changing world. It's, everything's in context. You know, if, if you're a salesperson or a marketing person, you you kind of single-mindedly focused on what you're selling or what you're marketing, but the customer's not thinking like that. The customer's in a in a big system. When, I, when my first job was in the in Procter and Gamble in the business of selling detergents, and what we tried to understand was mom. Mom was our customer, so we had to understand mom. And mom lives in a system. We call it the household, right? She's got to get the kids up in the morning. She's got to get them fed. She's got to get them to school. They're wearing clothes, they're changing clothes. You need to get the clothes clean somewhere. We've got to fit into that system. We think the most important thing in the world is detergent. She doesn't. So we, we have to be humbly fitting into the customer's system. That's the, yeah. the first step. And then this idea that they're constantly trying to make things better. So how can we demonstrate, prove, suggest that we're making things better? So that's you mentioned the idea of the, the value proposition, then that's choosing your customer. So you're not going to sell to everybody in the world. So you've, you've got to choose your customer, choose yeah. to understand them deeply, then make them this proposition, a promise, if you like, that if you go along with what I'm suggesting, what I'm marketing or selling, your life will be better in some way. So that's a, we call that a benefit, right? In our, in our language. And then you've got to, prove to them or give them reason to believe that that's the case, either demonstrate it or make the case or, or present the, the proposition in some way. And then they learn, they're constantly learning about, well, did Hunter make a promise he can cape? I, I bought what he gave me. Did it meet my expectations? So you didn't, you got to monitor that all the time. So you never, you never finished with a, a value proposition. So we don't even call it creating value, Connie, we call it generating value or facilitating value because the customer is creating the value. We've just got to find a way to help them to create it. So it's a, it's a very collaborative proposition with the customer. It's not, we're a great firm, we're generating value. It's, it's the customer's generating value. And boy, we've been clever enough to, to find out how to fit into the customer's value generation. Yeah, it's funny because I know with my clients, I had a, a meeting yesterday with an old colleague and, um, they're trying to build a corporate culture. And so we were chatting and he said he has to go to one of the other stakeholders. And he's like, just like in one sentence, Khan, just give me like something that I can ground to, to schedule a meeting with me. I said, here's the thing you have in the way that their business is, they have clients coming in, they have accounts and their internal um, customer service people, right? They, they have an existing book of business, if you will, right? They have, they have clients. So I said, now with the new world, since COVID hit, they don't have the foot traffic, right? It's, it's brick and mortar. They don't have the foot traffic that they once had. So what do you do? I said, you know, they're, they have to, I, I said, what they have to keep doing what they're doing and not really change what they're doing. They have to change how they're doing it. So we mm-hmm. have to improve the conversations because they're having, they're going to have the conversations no matter what, because we have clients, right, that are calling and engaging and what have you for whatever needs, right? There's something wrong. I have a situation. They're calling. They're coming in physically. So the conversation's happening. 
But if you don't have the right conversation, you could be leaving millions of dollars on the table. They're quite a mm-hmm. big organization. And he was like, uh, yeah, that's what's happening. And <laughs> I know that's what's happening. So how about if we keep doing what we're doing, we just do it better. And we're not teaching people how to right behaviors drive the numbers. We're not teaching people how to do the better. So we're saying make more, make more sales. That means more meetings, more phone calls, more. Does it? And my feeling is if I'm not good on the phone, please don't ask me to make more phone calls. Teach me how to get better at it. And now I can make less effort and make better results. Right. That's that for me. That's always the objective. Right. Work less, make more. Well, it's the same thing with their with their with their um, their team. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's right. And I said, yeah, that's right. I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 40 years. It doesn't humans don't change. Right. We but we have to understand how are we looking at the situation? Right. Yeah. So that's learning. And the, the, the need that we have is to constantly learn. And learning is a, hum- a humble thing, because if you're learning, that means you were wrong or you didn't know something or, or yeah. something has changed. And yeah. to learn requires that that humility. We what you describe, we call that building capacity. So the mission is what we do every day to, right. to hit our goal. And we've got to ask, well, do we have the capacity to do that? And what you described, the capacity change, right? It's not this. It's not about the number of phone calls. It's about the quality of the, of the uh, conversation. So, do we yeah. have the capacity to help people to develop good conversational skills and 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 things like that? So, constantly looking at the the capacity that you have to produce the results you want, and then learning, which is. You say that that humble turning in on yourself. Am I doing it right? Could I improve? Is there something better? Am I missing some signals? Learning's the way we that we improve. I recently recorded a show with a, a young woman. She's about 39. And we were talking about the different decades of knowledge and kind of what you walk away with. She goes, kind, it's so funny. I look back now. She's only 39. She says, when I was a teenager in high school, I thought my parents were the biggest idiots ever. <laughs> I knew everything. <laughs> then I went to college and I thought, eh, you know, my parents, I think they, they've been through college. Yeah, they must, they must know a thing or two. And she says, and then in my 30s, you know, you have a kid and you think, oh, that's why my mom did that. So all of, like she said, it validates like all the things that we hold against our parents. And she says, it's so funny now as a business owner, she says, like, I am always looking like, what don't I know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's just over the hill that I'm not even aware of because of my age, my, my, my limits of um, just experience, right? Life experience. I said, wait, I said, as each decade goes by, you realize how much you don't know. <laughs> forget mm-hmm. about what you do know. I said, I call that wisdom. <laughs> she just laughed at that. Right. No, you're right. The- Peter Drucker was a great economist, talked about uh, business is knowledge applied to knowledge by knowledge workers. So if you have more knowledge or the right kind of knowledge, or you can learn faster and apply it faster, that's that's the business edge. And in the digital age, that's even more the case. So keep on looking out for that knowledge and figuring out how to apply it. Yeah. And don't be afraid to not be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. I'm so used to that, Hunter. (laughs) But don't be afraid to admit that you have blind spots because guess what? We all have blind spots. It's, you know, it's part of that whole growing experience. But I want to shift a little bit. Let's talk about the value network Mm -hmm. and how people can assemble one because I do believe, and I know you believe this, we just can't do it alone. And especially at the speed at which things are changing and moving now in business, how do we build those valuable networks? Well, it's the same uh, 
as we talked about a little bit earlier, which is working backwards. So you're, you're looking at the customer experience. I'm going to create this experience. They're going to love it. What are all the components of that experience? And you're not going to be able to, to deliver all of them. So then you need to identify those components that you can't deliver. Mm -hmm. uh, you can break those down into, into things and people, right? I need a network. I need a phone. I need, I need uh, Verizon or whomever your phone provider is. You, you assemble the things that you need, the technology that you need. And then what are the people that you need to, to help you? And that they could be people you hire. They could be people that, that you partner with. They could be suppliers of, of goods and services. I talked to a, a young fellow the other day, his name is Victor Chaw, and he started out, as he, he calls it, flipping on eBay. You know, just buying stuff and selling stuff on eBay, and he started making a profit. So then he started investigating how could he, how could he uh, expand his business, and he discovered Alibaba. I don't know whether you know of Alibaba or people listening know about it, but it's a, it's a China company that builds supply chains. You go to Alibaba and say, you know, I'd like to sell digital phones to people in America, and they'll put together a supply chain for you. Eventually, he went to China, and he started to meet people at trade shows and find exclusive suppliers. So he was building a value network, all of the people, services, and things that can contribute to your delivering value to your customer. So it's, it's just a matter of working backwards and then putting together a network. What do I need that I can't do myself? How do I connect to that? And in this day and age, you know, the beautiful thing now is that we can do that digitally. Yeah. I always like to use the example of Amazon Web Services. I can now rent the most powerful computing time in the world by the minute for a few pennies a minute. And so my ability to compute is as big as IBM's or Google's or anyone else's. So putting together that value network is easier than ever. You just got to work backwards, map it out, what are all the components you need, and then and then make the connections. It's, it's so easy these days. Yeah, and I think also be aware as you peel back the onion, like I was saying to you before we started with my rebrands that I started last year, you know, now links, I'm like, oh, I need that link. That has to be changed. That has to be changed. So as you find things, you, sometimes you have to go and look for the person who can help provide that service as you create these changes in business. Cause it's, it, you, you know, right. Business is fluid. It's never static. So how do we keep building and reiterating our, our group of um, people we trust? The other thing I wanted to comment on that was the having a value network. So let's say Hunter, I refer you to a client or a colleague. You're going in already at a level of with a level of trust just because that person trusts me. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing I think that's important as we build our value networks. Be careful because you want to make sure that whoever you bring in or who that you're going to refer or use with in front of your customers, especially that they're as responsive, diligent, deliverables, um, all of those things that they're a plus right in their in how they deliver and execute and speak and, and all of those things to support our clients. Because if I know I'm an A plus, you know, business and I connect with someone who see and they sell me a bag of goods and I refer them. That's a reflection on me. I can then lose that client as well. So I think the value network is real important. And now we're we're sharing each other also because this level of trust grows within the, that 
that network itself, but now you're going out to clients. The trust level goes up exponentially, which is kind of cool to leverage that too. Yeah. So that's a trust network and yeah. it, it flows two ways. And, and you're right. If I recommend you to a third party and I say, you can trust Connie, she's terrific. And if you don't uh, fulfill that promise, then it hurts your trust, but it also hurts my trust as well. So the network flows in both directions. And that's, that's one of the components of the digital age. We've got to constantly think of that. The other thing that comes to me, Connie, is that in the value network or anything else, there's no recipe. We used to talk about recipes in business. You know, you do this first, do this second, here's the yeah. checkpoint, all of that kind of, there is no recipe these days. It's about connections, making connections, reassembling connections. And so don't let anybody tell you there's one way to do things or here's the recipe or here's the way to do it. It's making those connections, testing them, finding out what happens, changing them again. And I think everybody is so empowered by that, but sometimes they get blinded by this idea that there's a best practice or a right way to do things. There isn't. Just keep experimenting and then figuring out what works for yourself. And the, the the funny thing is, everybody's not the same. And, you know, you know, that's what I say about my clients. Client comes to you, they might have a similar situation as your other clients, right? Because you have an ideal client, you said it on the onset, right? We want to make sure we laser focus, you know, mm -hmm. yours was moms with kids that was, you know, they were doing laundry a lot, right? That was mm -hmm. really your demographic. Now, how can we support them through detergent? That was the, the line, the connection. Everybody thinks they have a template or their way is the right way. And that makes me crazy because when I teach my, my uh, business owners and my students at my corporate clients, they say, stop, who's in front of you until mm -hmm. you understand who they are. You know what your resources are and assets and things, you know, you know, what's on your shelf, almost walk into your pantry. You know, what's on your shelf. What do you have? What do you don't have? If you don't have flour, you're not making pizza for dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are my assets? Now, who's in front of me? You might create Hunter and, and Connie. We have similar needs. We walk in a half hour apart. You meet with us. You might sell two different packages to those people, even though they had a similar situation, because it was the right package to help that client move the needle. So you know what your assets are, pull them together. There is no one size fits all, at least not in my world. But I think a lot of times we have a lot of... Um, I see it, especially with sales, like uh, the, the vendors out there, use my template and you'll make more money. And I mm -hmm. think really, because I, so you read the template and I think I would never say this. It's just not how I, how I speak. It's not how I connect with people. So a template, you could give me what's your introduction, Connie, what's your introduction, Hunter, what's your introduction? You could give a template, but you can't give a script or an exact you have to follow this cookie cutter or this recipe. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that's how, how business and life works. Yeah, and part of our brand of economics is, is about individualism. You've got yeah. to cater to individuals. The way that I teach that, Connie, is, is designed for one perfect customer. So try and imagine who that perfect mom is or that perfect customer, whatever business you're in. Then align yourself with that customer. But then, as you said, realize that no one's the one perfect customer. So how is this situation different? How is this context different? How do I have to adjust to that? But I think it helps to identify that, that perfect avatar, if you like, at the beginning, yeah. to get your script right, get your presentation right, yeah. get your value proposition right, and then adjust it when you meet the real world, when, you, when you're human to human, and figure out 
what's different and therefore how do I have to change? So I, I, I think individualism is the right way to go, but it's gotta be that sensitive individualism. How is this different from what I did before? Right. Yeah. And, and again, empathy and care and vulnerability, all of those mm-hmm. things that really, that's how we have, I believe how we have to show up every day. It works. It's authentic. And everybody overuses that word, but you know, I, I tease and my whole career hunter with my clients, I am who I am. I don't mm-hmm. ever try to be anything I'm not because I'll, I fail miserably and people see through it. And then there's this level of distrust and yeah, can I believe that? And so show up as you are. Like I started at the intro. I'm a dork. I know I'm a dork. I embrace my dorkism, right? So just, yeah, I think we have to be authentic and, and, and really show up for the person in front of you. Um, but I do agree with who is the avatar. You have to have a starting point right. because then from there, now you know how to analyze it and say, these are all my assets, but what is this person in front of me need? And usually it's tweaking. The package could kind of be the same. Sometimes it's taking a piece out or adding a piece in. It's never um, a total revamp. Everybody you're in front of, that would be crazy. Otherwise you really don't know what you're doing in your business. If you had that situation, I I would, I would call that authentic plus learning, Connie. So yeah. yeah, we've got to be authentic. We can't pretend to be somebody we aren't, but we can always learn. We can always improve. And as you take in new knowledge or new learning, you say, well, how does that make me better? How should I change my behavior in some way? You haven't stopped being authentic. You've learned. You've become more authentic or, or whatever the next step is after authentic. But you've got to learn. You've got to change with the world because it's changing so fast around you. Yeah, there's a quote, it says, um, in the current world, and I don't remember who said it, but it's like, you have to unlearn to relearn to unlearn to relearn again. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of truth it in that. And it's, again, it's that humility that we, we yeah. talk about, you know, don't, you can't think you're right, because you're never right. You just got to absorb and learn and, and change in the in the best way. So I like that quote. Yeah, unlearn I know. Relearn. Yeah, yeah unlearn unlearning is hard. I mean, it's, We all think we're knowledgeable, right? We all think we're great. We all think we're terrific. Well, we've got to unlearn some of that. Yeah, and we argue that we're right, even though the person next to you is making a heck of a lot more sense, but we dig in because we know we're right. It's That's the ego, right, of the human. We're out of time, Hunter. I This is fascinating topic. I love the perspective of economics, uh, again, starting with the end and working back. It's just about flipping the script, and it's, it just makes sense to me. So if you guys need a little more Hunter, which I think you do, go to his website, which is econ, E-C-O-N-4, the number four business.com. So econ four, number four, business.com. If you have a question specifically for Hunter, please reach out to him directly. It's Hunter, Hunter Hastings at iCloud.com. Um, thank you, Hunter, for being just, this was such a thoughtful conversation. I think an important conversation and hopefully it, it expanded um, the listener's uh, perspective, right? On um, what is economics? What is a value proposition? Hopefully it just expanded or shined a light from a different angle um, to close the blind spots, really. That's what I'm always looking for on the show with my guests to help my listeners improve their perspective by shining a light on a potential blind spot that they had. So thank you so much. That was just a great conversation. Well, good. Thank you, Connie. Thank you for having
having me as a guest. It's a great honor and I love what you do. And if, if I can help anybody, reach out. Thank you. you. You got it. Thank you so much, Hunter. And I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build and discover together that becoming the salesperson, again, if you're a business owner, you're selling. If you're in a career, you're selling. You have to sell yourself. You sell your ideas to your boss. So just for me, it's really about how are we communicating with others? And I hope my guests and I just share a tip, a strategy, an idea for you to say, hmm, I like that. How can I use that? How can I perfect that? How can I make my life better? How can I make my client's life better? Whatever it is. So again, I hope that you find my conversation with my, my guest experts helpful. And he, you, you know me, and I say this at the end of every show, please, please, information is wonderful. Information that's applied and put into action, that's when results and magic start happening. So again, take some of the tips and ideas that uh, Hunter and I discussed today, apply them in your life, apply them in your business, apply them in your career, see the magic that can happen. Thank you for joining me. You've been listening to uh, Changing the Sales Game on webtalkradio.net with me, your host, Connie Whitman. I truly am honored that you tune in weekly to hear my guests and I in our conversation. You get behind the scenes look at some of our tips and strategies and ideas. And I do hope that they move your needle um, no matter what is going on in your life and business. Thank you so much. I'm honored that you're here and I will see you next week. Have an inspired week, everybody. Thanks. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow. Follow.